Well, let's take our Bibles and find Hebrews chapter 11. We've been trying to faithfully and steadily work our way through this text. Um, next week, as you see in your worship guide, we have a special guest with us, Dr. Rod Dempsey from Liberty University. He will be here for the weekend and doing some work with our elders, and then he's going to preach next Sunday morning. And Rod's just a dear friend, but he's a faithful pastor and leader and teacher, and you don't want to miss him. So I hope you'll be back next Sunday uh, for Pastor Rod. And then the next week, we're going to wrap up Hebrews 11, and then we're getting ready for Easter. And as again, you see in your worship guide, we're going to prepare for 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to read through the Gospel of John together as a church. We're going to give you a guide to help you work through this uh, season from March 10th to March 30th, which takes us right up to Christmas or at Christmas Day. <laughs> I got it on my mind, don't I? It's on Easter Day. So a lot, of, a lot of good things that we're asking the Lord to do among us and for us, that this church just continues to be a, a bright light, a city on a hill that as Scripture says cannot be hid. And that's our prayer and our goal for fellowship. That's our prayer for you. Is where you work, where you play, where you study, where you go to school, that you will be a faithful testimony to the witness of God. That's where we wind ourselves up today in Hebrews 11. You're going to look at verses 23 through 28. And my title is Courageous Faith. We're talking about Moses. Uh, you know, I, it seems like every time I hear the word Moses, I feel like I have to drop my voice three octaves and bear all out my chest and sound like I'm a big man. Because you, know, you just can't say Moses with a, with a high voice. Not as a man, it's Moses. I feel like Charlton, Charles Heston. Who is he? Charles. There you go. You know who he is. What a strong name, right? And uh, today's courageous faith. Let's cut a title of courageous faith. I think of the concept and the, the principle of courageous faith. And then I look at me. And I feel like many days, if not most days, my faith is less than courageous. Often I feel timid. Often I feel fearful. I can be um, more... Is the right word quiet? Not bold, not courageous, not a faith like we see in this text. I've thought about this. I think oftentimes Satan is so wise. You realize today you have an adversary, right? You have an enemy. He's called the father of lies. As John 10 would say, he's here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You got to read the rest of John 10. He says, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So don't let Satan get the final word on that. But what Satan does in our lives today, in every one of us, he's going to use this kind of two-step process. He's going to dance with us. And he's going to do our best to separate you and I from faithfulness. You feel that sometimes? That is a press, it is a difficulty, it is a struggle at times to remain faithful all the way through. And Satan uses this two-step dance. One, he will try to allure us away from faithfulness with all that this world has to offer. 
It's shiny things, right? It's bigger and better things. It's keeping up with other people. It's in a, a myriad of different things that he will try to use in this world to allure us away. And I think if he can't capture our attention and separate our faithfulness that way, then he comes back in with the world's crushing blows upon our life. And sometimes it's the one-two punch, isn't it? You're already feeling the allure of all this that is in the world, and yet you feel like you're being kicked and punched and crushed. I take you back to 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. Go look in the, at those verses this week. We are pressed on every side, but we're not crushed, right? We are broken, but we are not destroyed. And it's, it's no mystery to you today. It's no newsflash but if you're going to have faith in Christ alone, prepare yourself for attack from the evil one. I, I, again, I, back to, to my friend, I remember, I remember so clearly on that Sunday night when he and Donna surrendered their life to the Lord, one of the first things I said to them, your life just got harder, not easier. It got harder. You go, well, wait a minute. If I accepted Christ into my life, why doesn't it get easier? Because now you have an adversary. Now you have an enemy. Now you have one who wants to separate you from faithfulness. But here's the thing about it. If you want to be courageous today, it's going to get fueled by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Do I have anyone desiring courage this morning? Anyone? Anyone going, I want to be courageous and faithful in my faith. I want it to be fueled by that which is ultimately good, which is Christ, not by that which is temporal. If you want to write a reference down, Ephesians 6.15, it says, For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, take your stand. What a great verse. How many of you would agree with, this, with me this morning that we live in the evil day? Sure we do. Certainly we live in evil days. You've heard me say it since I got here. The days are dark. I believe time is running out. I believe what my dad has taught me all my life, Christ is coming soon. And I don't know when it is, but it's 24 hours closer than it was yesterday. I know that he's on his return. I know that we have a work to do, and I know that everything in this world is throwing itself against us. And then he says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Why in the world would we put the armor of God upon ourselves? He said, so you can take your stand. So you can be courageous. So you can have courage a courageous faith, I'll put it that way, you can have courageous faith in difficult days. So Hebrews 11, let me read 23 through 28, and then we'll come back and unpack a few things. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt behind. You ought to circle those three words, or four words. He left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses, Moses perceived as one who sees him who is invisible. Now by faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. There's a lot to cover here. I hope you have the, the oven set on low because the roast may burn, okay? Let's go to verse 23. I want you to, if you're in a habit of marking your Bibles, circling, paying attention to it, let's look at this. I want you to see point number one about a courageous faith. A courageous faith will always drive out fear. Courageous faith will drive out fear. Now, there are a lot of things that produces fear in our, in our walk with the Lord. There are a lot of things that are fearful in the times in which we live. And just because you have a courageous faith doesn't mean there won't be fearful things around you. It simply means they will not dominate you and they will not control you. So let's talk about this from the example that we see here in verse 23. I like to underline or circle or re, uh, highlight repeated phrases. So circle the, the phrase, by faith Moses, because we're going to see that a couple times in our text today. By faith Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that that child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Now to understand the full context of this, you need to go back and read Exodus chapters 1 and 2. And in Exodus 1 and 2, we get this fantastic detail of all the things taking place of this highlight in Hebrews 11. Some of you, if you've grown up in church, if you've, you've read the Bible at all, you're familiar with the story when Moses was born. Remember this? And Pharaoh had decided that he needed to, to lessen the strength and the population of Israel. So the way to do that was to kill all the firstborn children. Children were born in those days by the assistance of midwives. So midwives were commanded that if a male child was born, that child was to be killed then. Sounds horrific, doesn't it? So this is the, the context. This is a setting taking place. And verse 23 says, by faith, Moses, after he was born, he was hid by his parents for three months. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know what kind of mad skills Jochebed, what a cool name, Jochebed is Moses' mother. I want to know what mad skills she has to hide a newborn baby for three months and nobody know it's there. Am I right? You put a newborn baby in the house, Brandon. And everybody knows about it. It cries. It doesn't sleep a lot. It consumes your life. Here's the other thing. How in the world, here she is, she has been pregnant, obviously pregnant. She's given birth. And now what does she tell people? Where is this child? What's happened to him? How does he... How do they keep this baby a secret? I find it to be amazing. But she hid him for three months. 
Then did you see the text? Or the, 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 when you go back into Exodus 1 and 2, it'll tell you when they couldn't keep him quiet any longer, when he couldn't be hid any longer, she places him in the basket, right? And puts him in the, in the Nile, in the river, and sends him down the stream. Can you imagine? Only God can orchestrate this. Here's this baby in a basket floating down the stream only to show up in front of Pharaoh's daughter. What fortune. She takes him and realizes this is a newborn baby that needs to be fed. Guess who God sends to Pharaoh's daughter to feed the Moses baby, the baby Moses? His own mama. Tell me God's not good to us. Now, I want you to think about courageous faith and overcoming fear. Jochebed and, and Amron, who have had this brand new baby and saw that he was beautiful and decided to protect him, but realized that this comes at great cost to us because if they are caught protecting a newborn baby boy, the boy would be killed and they would as well. So then they're trying to, to keep him quiet, to not let the neighbors know that there's a baby boy in the house. And when that can't happen any longer, who comes up with the idea, let's put him in a basket and put him in the river? And let's see what God does. What courageous faith. And here this babe comes before Pharaoh's daughter and she takes him in and then she adopts him and he's raised as one of Pharaoh's children. Matter of fact, many theologians believe that because of other situations in Pharaoh's family that, that Moses could have been next in line as the Pharaoh, as the leader of that country at that time. But I want you to go back to verse 23. Look at it again. By faith, Moses, we got that. He was hidden by his parents for three months. I want you to circle the phrase by his parents. Why was he hidden for three months? Because, there's your transition phrase, because they saw the child was beautiful and they did not fear. Circle it. They did not fear. Pay attention to that. They did not fear the king's edict. The first time we see the courageous faith in Moses' life, now this is important, isn't so much in Moses as it is in his parents. The faith that Moses learned to live within, the faith that Moses learned to execute, the faith that Moses learned to stand firm in was taught to him by his parents. Do you understand out of, out of Hebrews eleven twenty three how the faith of the parent impacted the life of the child and ultimately the faith of the child? Well, you know what I'm going to do right here, don't you? There's a point of application. I want us to stop and I want to evaluate our homes. I want you to consider where you are as a parent, where you are as a grandparent, where you are as one who has influence on young people around you. Is your faith being transferred? Is it being taught and is it being caught by those in your family? Will your kids grow up with a courageous faith because you put it on display? Because you modeled it? Because you talked about it? 
because you demonstrated what Deuteronomy would say. You talk about it when you rise up and when you lie down, when you walk about the streets, when you sit in your home. Folks, I don't know about you, but I think our world, I believe our country, I believe our churches would be a whole lot better today if we had stronger families. And I can say that and I believe that, but I also understand if this world's going to have stronger families, it starts in my home, not yours, it starts in mine. And you need that same attitude. It doesn't start in somebody else's house. It starts where I live. It starts with whom God has entrusted to me. It starts within whom I have influence over. So do your kids see courageous faith in action? Do they see you carving out time in your day to honor God? One of the fondest memories I have of my, in, of my childhood, we lived in a, an old house down in Ironton, Ohio, and it was an old, old 1900s house that had two stairwells. You ever familiar with those houses? You had a front stairwell and then a back one that always came down into the kitchen. And the memory that I will just never, ever forget is I would always come down those back stairs and as I turned that corner into the kitchen, every Sunday morning I saw my dad seated at the head of the table with his Bible open and typically either reading or praying. And that is tattooed upon my heart and on my memory. I look back now and with grown children and having raised them in our home and oh how I wished they had had a clearer example and I had captured better opportunities to demonstrate courageous faith to them. This isn't to beat us up this isn't to make us feel like we failed. This is to arm you to stand firm today. Forget those things which lie behind and press forward to the things that are ahead. Start today to have courageous faith. Number two, courageous faith will determine your choices. Now remember, you've got to go back into Exodus 1 and 2 to catch the greater context of these verses out of Hebrews it says in verses 24 through 25, by faith Moses, there again, circle, pay attention to it, when he had grown up. You notice verse 23 started by faith Moses after he was born. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up. In verse 23, by faith Moses, after he was born, was hidden. In verse 24, by faith Moses, after he had grown up, refused, circle the word refused. What did he refuse? To be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You've got to understand what a big deal this was. You realize that if you were in the family line of Pharaoh, you got all the good stuff. You had the house, you had the cars, you had the money, you had the privilege, you had the respect, you had it all. If this world allured you with anything, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter equipped Moses with everything he could ever, ever want. Everything. I want you to pause for a moment and just think back through your life or maybe where you are today of all the things you go, I wish I had that or I wish I had this. I, if I had more, if I had, if I had all of that, if I had, 
Just stop whatever your list is, and then you can write at the bottom, Moses had all that and more. He had everything. So this isn't that he just refused something small. This isn't that he made a simple decision. This is that he made a life-changing decision. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, when he had matured, he refused. He made a choice not to be called Pharaoh's son. That is a massively huge decision. Now, context, do you remember the story? Has anybody in here seen the Ten Commandments, the old Ten Commandments? All right, you got the story. Moses is out. He realizes that the people of Israel are, are being held as captives. They're slaves. They're being mistreated. They're being abused. And he now knows, which I believe is taught to him by his mother, Jochebed, he knows that he's an Israelite by birth. He knows that he's living under Pharaoh's house, but he knows his heritage. And he's out taking a walk a day, one day among his people. Now he knows where he lives. He knows where his home is. But he knows who his people are. He sees this one Israelite being abused by an Egyptian tyrant. And you remember the story, he flies into a rage. He murders the man, buries his body. Someone says, hey, we saw what you did. He goes back to Pharaoh. And now Moses is in a position at 40 years of age where he has a real potential of being killed. And then he's exiled and exiled to the desert for the next 40 years. If you look at Moses' life, you'll see it's broken down into three segments, three 40-year time periods. The first 40 years is living as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And when he refused to be considered of that line and of that heritage, he chose to suffer with the people of God, as the text says, rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's put this into context for just a second. Let's put some application to it. Do you ever catch yourself choosing to be numbered or identified with the world, with the casual Christianity, if there is such a thing, with this mediocre walk of faith, if there is such a thing, rather than being courageous and bold and standing firm and taking up your position of faith? Isn't it just easier in this world to be quiet? It's easier in this world to just kind of try to blend in. But there's nothing in, the, in Scripture, there's nothing in the Christian life that talks about blending in. It says be a light, be a, on a, like a city on a hill. It says to be bold. It says to be courageous. It says what Moses did to refuse to be called that above the world. That's what we're talking about here, to make a decision to be different. If you and I want to really know if we have courageous faith today, examine how you're doing with being dominated by fear and what kind of choices you're making. Courageous faith will change your choices and it will eliminate your fears. Does that make sense? Keep on moving. Verse 26, 
It says, for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to his reward. And here's what courageous faith will always do. It will direct your focus. It'll direct your focus. One of my favorite stories of my nephew, Taylor, when he was a little boy, he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't say some of his letters. Uh, but he was very intentional when he wanted to talk to you. And if Taylor wanted your attention, when he was two or three years old, probably three years old, he would look at you. And if you weren't really looking at him, he'd take those fat little hands of his and he'd put them on your face and he'd turn your face towards him and then he would go, wook and whisten. <laughs> Man. I have to believe there are so many times in our life the Lord is grabbing you and turning your face and going, wook and whisten. Pay attention. Look at me. Don't get distracted. Don't cast your eyes on lesser things. Behold the glory of the Lord. Scripture says today we, we look at him as through a glass darkly, but one day we'll see him face to face. I beg you this morning. Let's walk together, chasing after the things of the Lord, refocusing our attention on lesser, off of lesser things and onto the only one that matters, making choices that direct our life, that identify our commitment and our passions. Choosing to not let fear dominate us, but to live a life of faith. How in the world do you do all of that in this kind of world that you and I live in? Well, I think, I think the, the author of Hebrews gives it to us. If you go back to verse 26, he considered the reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater than the treasures of Egypt. If you pause right there, understand how much the treasures of Egypt is. They're not trillions of dollars in debt. That's a whole other context. But <laughs> This place is rich. How did he do that? Because of the next phrase, the last phrase of that verse. He was looking ahead to his reward. I so... I so desperately want to live the kind of life that I hear my Lord say to me one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and loosely translated, let's have a party. I want to be Paul that presses towards the high prize, the high calling of Christ. But I don't know about you, but I struggle. I struggle. 
You go, you're the preacher. You're not supposed to struggle. I struggle. There are days I'm more passionate and faithful than others. There are days that I seem to be more committed than others. There are days that my faith feels so weak and I fall in ways that I just never want to fall again. And I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And here's what I need to do. This is, this is the goal for me. This is, this is the game changer for me. Not so that one day I will receive rewards, but that so one day I receive rewards and I get to cast them at the feet of the only one that matters. Amen. That's my goal. Is it yours? When you get into verse 27, you realize that courageous faith delights in God more than man. Here's your phrase again. By faith, he being Moses, left Egypt behind. He left Egypt behind. Not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. I'm convinced of this in my life and in yours, that if you and I will get Jesus right, we will get everything else right. If you and I will capture the image of the righteous one, of the holy one, if you and I will see him as Isaiah did, high and lifted up, and recognize ourselves as Isaiah did, and go, woe is me. If we will get this in the right perspective, it will change the way we view the opinion of the people around us. Do you know how much of our energy and time is consumed by what we think other people think about us? This is embarrassing, but I'm going to share it to you anyway. I normally go, to, go upstairs on a Saturday evening and I try to figure out what I'm going to wear on Sunday morning. Because I, I don't have enough time on Sunday morning to figure out what I'm going to wear. Okay? So last night, Sue's in the basement. I went upstairs to get, get, figure out what I was going to wear this morning. I brought three different outfits down and said, what do you think of these? To which she said, no, absolutely not, maybe, and yeah, that's not bad. Well, that left me no confidence. I went back upstairs and I changed the outfits again. She didn't know about that. Three more times upstairs. Now, I bring what I'm going to wear to church with me on Sunday morning and get, get changed here. So this morning when I got up at 4 o'clock, I went into my closet and I changed my outfit again. We're now on time seven or eight. I make a decision and I bring it to church with me and then I call Sue or text Sue at 7.30 and go, I need you to bring me something different. You know what? This is awful. You know what the motivation behind all of that was? You. You. Every one of you are guilty for all of my, my junk today about what I was going to wear because I was all nervous about what you may think about me. And there, this is the one I thank you so much. I'll just, 
Yeah. Yeah, Brother Kenny goes, Chris Kenny goes, and yeah, that's what you picked? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that, and see, that's it. You know, really? Don't we get tripped up on dumb little things? What would happen if we took all of that effort and all of that energy and abandoned what we think other people will think of us and just simply present it back to the Lord and go, Lord, what do you say? And he doesn't care how I'm dressed on the outside. He cares what I am on the inside. And the same goes for you. And a courageous faith, I love this, depends on the blood of Christ for redemption. It says in verse 28, by faith, he being Moses, instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that, circle it, so that, that's so good. Those two little words change the whole verse. So that the danger or the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. Remember the story? We're into the plagues. Moses is trying to get the people out of Egypt. Pharaoh keeps saying, yeah, I'll let him go. And then he doesn't. And plague after plague after plague comes. And now we're on the, death, on the 10th plague called the death angel. And it was told that when the angel passes by, if he doesn't see the blood over the, por- over the doorpost, the firstborn in that home would die that night. But when he saw the blood, and I love it, do you remember the phrase? He will pass over you. They had this particular meal that they had to put together and the ironic thing of that night, of that Passover meal and the shedding of the blood and putting it over the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over, that became the family recipe for you and I. Because it was the shedding of the blood that became the covering that saved the firstborn of Israel that night. And it's the shedding of the blood that becomes the covering for you and I so that we may never die and live eternally with him. It's always about the blood. It's always about the blood. Without the shedding of blood, Scripture says, there is no payment or remission of sin. So look at this courageous faith to understand it's not what I do. It's not my work. It's not my effort. It's not all of me. It's all of Him. And He does all the saving. And He does all the work. And if God does all the saving, folks, He does all the keeping. So if God secured you, There's nothing that you can do to unsecure God's work. We are saved by an eternal God. And it says, by faith, he instituted the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, which is the picture of the cross 2,000 years ahead, or 4,000 years ahead, rather, so that the destroyer, Satan himself, might not touch the Israelites. So what do you do with a message like this out of Hebrews 11? Trying to... Squeeze 120 years of life of Moses into 30 minutes. Good luck. (laughs) Go back and read. Go back to Exodus 1 and 2. Go back into the other passages and study it. But as a way of summary and hopefully help for you today to capture some hooks 
of verses 23 through 28. I encourage you with these three, four, three or four thoughts. Number one, courageous faith will be tempted. Your courageous faith, you hear this? Your courageous faith will be tempted by a cowardly adversary. He has nothing to stand on, we do. He has no hope, we do. He has no promise, we do. Just remember that your faith will overpower the cowardly attempts of your enemy. Number two, the pleasures of sin are temporary. How many of you know that this morning? Wood, hay, and stubble, right? It all passes away. The pleasures of sin will always be temporary, but the good news is the rewards of heaven will always be eternal. Where moth and rust does not decay. I would encourage you this morning to keep pursuing God's glory, not man's praise. A simple way to remember that is just simply fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. And the last point today of remembrance is this. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover every sin. Did I put you to sleep today? Then let me say that again. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover every sin. Are you thinking about dinner and lunch? Then let me say it again. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover every sin. (laughs) And the liar and the adversary sneaks in behind us, doesn't he? And he goes... Why is Satan so good at reminding us of our sin? And we often are so weak of reminding him of his future and reminding ourselves of God's provision. The blood of Christ is sufficient for every sin. And I don't know where you are today and I don't know who you are and I don't know what your spiritual journey has been, but I can tell you this. If you've walked through those doors this morning and you're seated in this place, I have really good news for you. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Jesus paid it all because his blood is sufficient to cover every, every sin. Well, how in the world Do I get that covering? Scripture says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved, even in a cabin in Amish country. 
even in a church in Bridgeport and in a home in a car you call to the Lord and you will be saved I'm going to ask our team to join me on the platform and we start to wrap this thing up I want you to think about a couple things if you're here today and you've never made that decision I'm going to be right over here and if you're bold enough and you're, you're courageous enough, I'm going to ask you just to get out of your seat in just a minute. I don't want you to come up and tell me about it. And go, preacher, I could never do that. This is why we're talking about courageous faith. Matter of fact, you start taking a step. If I see you, I'll walk towards you. It's like the old country song, 700 fence post. You start walking my way and I'll start walking yours. I'll meet you here. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Some of you today, while we're singing, you just need to get serious with the Lord. Can I play hardball for just a second? Stop fooling around with this walk of faith. You and I need to stop saying we are one thing inside the building and living a different way outside of these four walls. We need to get before the Lord and go search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way within me. And there's many of us that just haven't done that for a long time. And you can do it where you sit. You can do it at an altar like this. I really don't care where you do it. But what I care, what the Lord cares about is that you and I would come before him and go, Lord, uncle, I need you. And I'm tired of fighting this thing on my own. Maybe you come and pray here today and maybe you accept the Lord as your Savior today. But I beg you this, not a one of us walk out of those doors with the same heart and the same mind that we walked in with. Father, guard us from the just the raw emotion of wanting to get caught up in something. But yet also, Father, guard us from that apathy that Satan has tricked us into believing is right. That we can walk casually in our own will, in our own way. And Father, what you have said is wrong is wrong. What you have said is right is right. God today would you just break us in such a way that we're able to then stand strong and courageous faith active in pursuing you and telling this world about you Father what I pray so often and what I can pray today is that you will undo us and you will unleash us in our families and our communities with boldness for the truth and the name and the glory of Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.